Hello, this is Fight Back, a podcast by the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. I'm Jamie Rosales, healthcare consumer advocate and producer of the Fight Back podcast. Our nonprofit's mission is to help you navigate the complex healthcare system and understand your legal rights, options, and opportunities when you encounter problems and obstacles. We want to empower you with the information that you need to fight back and get the best possible care. In this Fight Back episode, our host, Steve Poisner, Executive Director of HCRF, welcomes our special guest, Linda Garvin, a health advocate. Linda graduated from the University of Massachusetts, earning her Master's of Science in Nursing and Adult Nurse Practitioner Training with honors. She has a public health certificate in California. After an extensive medical career, Linda founded Patient Advocate Bay Area, where she serves as president. She has spent the last 20 years as a health advocate in California and nationwide. Linda joins us to discuss what a health advocate is and what their job entails. Health advocates are available to support and advocate on behalf of a patient and their family when added knowledge and expertise can support better understanding, improve treatment, and more ease navigating a complicated health situation. Could a health advocate help you or your loved one? What type of services could a health advocate provide? Join us as we learn more about this unique service. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in to the Fight Back podcast. This is Jamie Rosales, health advocate and executive director of the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. Remember, you can find all our podcasts on our website at healthcareconsumerrights.org. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider a gift to help us keep Fight Back available. Your gift can be made at healthcareconsumerrights.org. Enjoy the podcast. Linda Garvin, health advocate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Linda, our, our, our listeners are hungry for information about how to navigate the healthcare system for themselves or their family members when when uh, there's a healthcare crisis that that uh, they have to deal with. What exactly is a health advocate, and how can a health advocate help people and or their families you know, deal with health emergencies? Um, a health advocate is an individual who provides patients and their families direct and customized assistance in navigating the healthcare system. Um, a health advocate's role entails helping patients access healthcare, educating patients so they can make well-informed healthcare decisions, and guiding individuals through medical care. Now, is, is a health advocate, you know, usually a single individual or are there teams of people with different skill sets that can be brought to bear to help? Well, the background uh, of a healthcare advocate, just to provide that, um, people can go to universities and get training for specific for advocacy. Um Many of the many times, it's individuals who have been nurses, social workers, or physicians who usually have several years of healthcare experience in a variety of work settings and have assisted patients with many types of health problems. Um, they come from different backgrounds, so uh, in terms of their expertise, some people just work with elder care. 
Others work with insurance and billing. Some individuals who are advocates work with individuals who have complex case management that is needed, cancer diagnosis and death and dying. And advocates can do all of those things or they may just do one of those things. But usually advocates work alone. Um, occasionally they can have someone else that works on their team. Um, most of the people that I know work alone. Uh, the laws have changed. Um, so uh, a few years ago, I had one or two people that worked on my team, but it's a little more difficult based on the state laws to do that now. So a lot of us just work on our own. I see. Do you have to be licensed? No, you don't need a license. Um, people who are professionals are already licensed in their fields. So uh, I've taken classes in, uh, with somebody who actually uh, coordinated and developed uh, health advocacy um, who lives on the West Coast. But most of us have been doing all these things for 10, 20, or 30 years. Um, I can go over some of the ways that patients can benefit or some of the things that we do as health advocates, if you'd like me to. Sure. Well, let's get into that in a second. But just, just one other question about training. I mean, there are uh, certificate programs that can help you prepare for a career as a health yes. advocate. Yes, there are. Um, people can Google, I mean, in terms of something local, the University of California in Berkeley has a program and people take uh, mandatory classes and then they come out and they can start a practice. It's pretty challenging to do that if you have never helped people before. Many people have helped family members who have complex conditions who have been in the hospital and or the ICU and they're the kind of point person who gets asked all these questions. It's very helpful to have had that experience. Uh, those of us who have been professionals, licensed professionals, which my background is nursing, have already looked at thousands of medical records because that's one of the things that's helpful, collaborated with doctors done research. So it's a little bit different in terms of the comfort level. But as I said, most professionals have done this work before. And people usually don't specialize in an area that they're uncomfortable with. At the present time, for example, in the Bay Area, there's people, because I belong to a local group, and their experience has been anywhere from five years to 20 years. But then, of course, they had the previous experience of being a physician, a nurse, or a social worker 20 years before that, that they can draw on. So they've been in the hospital, and they're used to reading records that talk about lab values and understanding the pathophysiology that's in medical reports that is sometimes very helpful, particularly if an individual hires you and wants you to look at medical records. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, please uh, tell us more about exactly the kinds of services you, you provide and, and people in your profession provide to, to families and to patients. 
Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a long list, but we can accompany a person. Many times it's an older or elderly person to a physician appointment. We may do that because the child lives out of state or they just are working full time or have children. Um, so that's very helpful to them. We develop an agenda for the doctor's appointment, which we think is really important, formulating questions with input from the client. So we do it together as a team. And, you know, we consider ourselves a team member um, and we help follow up on the health recommendations. So we're advocating for an individual uh, on their behalf with physicians and hospital staff if that person happens to be hospitalized. Uh, we can review medical bills, uh, unpaid claims, getting authorization or pre-authorization for treatments. We help explain and educate an individual about their medical condition and their treatment options. We assist in coordinating healthcare procedures, treatments and plans. Many times people want us to review medical records. Um, I'll give one example as I go along. Uh, I had an individual who had cancer, stage four lung cancer, and she wanted me to read the medical records and there was a small written note that said it was a poor biopsy and they were going to plan a chemotherapy treatment based on this poor biopsy. So with my guidance, I suggested she get another biopsy. Um, that biopsy ended up, was a good biopsy and ended up showing that she had a protein that made her eligible for immunotherapy. And she and the doctor and I believe that that helped save her life because three years later, she was functioning very well with a stage four lung cancer diagnosis. Um, we help people obtain second and third opinions, which is really important these days. Um, and I've done that referring people to the University of California, San Francisco or Stanford or someplace out of state now that you can do video uh, conference calls. If somebody's hospitalized, we can do bedside monitoring. Um, we can guide an individual's decision-making when they're faced with a serious or complex diagnosis. So an example of that, I had somebody who lived on the East Coast who was a wheelchair-bound brittle diabetic. So I met her on FaceTime because that's how she wanted to meet me. And she had health care from two different facilities because she had specialty doctors that went to one and others that went to another facility. And I had to get them talking to each other and reading the same information. So her care could be more consistent because it was not when she uh, called and hired me. And then she ended up going to the emergency room and was hospitalized for 10 days. And it made all the difference in the world that everybody, meaning all the doctors, were on the same page. Sometimes when an individual gets a new diagnosis, that involves getting blood tests and scans and referrals to specialty doctors. So we assist with that because that can get overwhelming for someone. Uh, and particularly when there's a time frame when it's helpful to get it as soon as possible. We just know what to say and how to get that done. 
Um, these days, a lot of people need pain management consultations, and we we help with that. Um, we'll make a visit to the home, visits to the hospital, and it's important to look and see where a person lives. It could be an apartment, a home, a retirement place, or assisted living to evaluate the home safety. Because anytime I've gone out, I always notice something that puts people at a high fall risk. We assist with discharge planning. Many times people are discharged from the hospital to a rehab facility or from a hospital to home. And many times there's errors because no one was available to go over the discharge plan, which is supposed to be a standard of care. And many times the medic, there's a delay in getting the correct medication. So we help with that. Um, when an individual's family member gets transferred to a rehab facility, it could be temporary or permanent, but the family member has many times doesn't know this, but can have a family meeting. And that way the individual, their family member's goals can get met because you're having a meeting with the nurse and the physical therapist and the dietitian. And so many times these days, people have specific needs that are important to talk about and to have a family member present. And I guess lastly, um, end of life planning. Uh, making sure that individuals have advanced directives. Um, hospice care sometimes gets involved. Some facilities do hospice cares, others don't, and palliative care. And many patients have in-home nursing care. I had a patient who developed a brain tumor and she had 24-7 care. And it was very complicated um, with suctioning machines and breathing machines and all the types of things we had to do to put in her home. So her home was basically like a hospital, but she wanted to stay at home. And a lot of people get confused about palliative care. You don't have to be, you don't have to have a, a cancer diagnosis to get palliative care. You can get a palliative care consultation for anxiety, insomnia, discomfort, because many times the surgeon may not know the correct medication to give you. So it could be a 30-year-old person who has a gallbladder uh, removed and the medication that's ordered for her in the hospital is not taking away her pain, and she gets a palliative care consult, she gets the correct medication, and she's fine and gets discharged home. But palliative management can include changes in medications to improve comfort for an individual. Uh, it can include behavioral uh, health therapies to address anxiety or depression which many people would have in the case of having a chronic um, or life-limiting disease, and also nutritional interventions to address their dietary needs and social services to improve home care support and chaplain services as well. For right. Wow, well, that's a you know, comprehensive list. Thanks for joining us for this very interesting discussion on the Fight Back podcast. Please help keep this free podcast available with a $5 gift today on our website at healthcareconsumerrights.org. 
to, to what extent uh, is it impactful just to have you know an advocate in the room at the time, you know, in, in, in hospital rooms or in doctors' offices? To what extent have you seen, you know, just the fact that you know you're there, you know, the healthcare professional just pays a little bit more attention? They do. It's it, I call it a red flag in a positive way. Um, many doctors will tell me they've never heard of a medical advocate or a health advocate, um, and they're glad to have us there because most of the time, that doctor's office would be getting multiple calls from the individual. And many of those calls are placed uh, to myself or to the health advocate so we can help them troubleshoot what the problem is. Uh, many times when someone goes for a second opinion, you have to be so careful. You want to make sure that all the specialty doctors, if that's needed, have sent their reports to the individual giving the second or third opinion. And many times they want uh, the actual CD of the scans, the PET scans and CTs. They want the reports. So it's a it's a large, uh, a complex process, but it can be done um, easier when you have somebody helping you. Um, I've had people who were the family member, that there has been an assigned person and they consider themselves an advocate but then it gets to be too much for them and they need a professional advocate. So I try to work as a team because you can never have too many people trying to help you or advocating for you. Sure. To what extent do you actually find mistakes and errors? You made reference to that a few times here already. Uh, uh, several times, actually. Um well, sometimes it's not doing the best for the client or the patient. For example, I had someone with cancer and they were given a oral chemotherapy pill and the doctor who was brilliant uh, felt that that was taking care of the patient's pain in her chest. And she complained of shortness of breath going up and down the stairs. And I realized this doctor was really protocol driven. In other words, the protocol said, well, if you give the patient this chemotherapy pill, it should take care of the problems. But I am more symptom driven and this person was very uncomfortable and it shows signs that the cancer is taking up space in the lung. And I, you could, when I went to the appointment, I asked for the CT to be on the screen and the nurse practitioner and I together decided this is pretty obvious that the cancer is causing the shortness of breath and the doctor was denying that. Um, also, uh, one individual had a big lump at the side of her neck and many times for just to use lung cancer as an example, that can go to the brain very quickly and it's important to radiate that area. So it does not go to the brain. So we had to come up with, um, I had to come up with that suggestion and then the person had radiation, uh, and the cancer had morphed into another type of uh, cancer. So she had radiation and it never went to her brain and she didn't have to suffer. Um, so it's, I mean, many people are doing the right thing. It's just that you only have so much time to spend with each patient. And with the way healthcare is these days, it's very complicated. And 
people can do can advocate for themselves, but then they get to the point where they get overwhelmed. And that's a time where they frequently will call me. And also, the, 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 of course, the obvious problem here is that families and patients don't have the subject matter expertise. Um, right. They don't understand. Um, you'd be surprised. I mean, a lot of people will download the, the lab values and they'll look and they can see what's abnormal. But then at some point, records start to be 400 pages, 600 pages. Um, I developed a personal medical record for myself and decided to do it for those that wanted it. Not everybody wants it. Um, and uh, this just happened actually the other day with a family member of mine. I handed, the, I, it was on my phone. I had a personal medical record and the anesthesiologist looked at it. It was about seven typewritten pages. But he said to me, I've never seen this before. He goes, it's so much easier than, because the problem is people have hundreds of pages usually when they get to be a certain age and no one has time to go through all that. And sometimes very important information can be missing that could be life-threatening. Um, maybe somebody's trachea, they need a, you know, a video scope because they have a small opening or uh, they forgot to mention they have a pacemaker or the doctor didn't see that they had three stents. I mean, this may sound so, like so obvious, but just depending on the time each doctor has to look through the medical record, um, it makes a big difference. And, uh, this particular anesthesiologist was so thankful that he could just look quickly through the seven pages, uh, which lists all the medications, which are over-the-counter as well as prescription. A lot of people don't list their over-the-counter and herbal meds. And many people are taking vitamin C and vitamin E before surgery. And not every doctor says, don't take vitamin C. And that can affect your bleeding. So these little things make such a difference in someone's outcome. Right. Um, so it, in, in terms of, uh, you know, of being the, the advocate, you know, the, the, my one experience, you know, with a healthcare advocate, it was, it was for a family member in a hospital setting. The, the advocate had to really be the squeaky wheel and, and really, you know, fight for the, you know, the right kind of attention and services and coordination that this particular patient needed, uh, especially in the hospital setting. Do you, do you see that? To be, I mean, they are so overwhelmed. The nurses there are so busy. Doctors are coming and going. Um, it's probably kind of frightening if you don't have an advocate. It can be. A lot of people now are starting to put that in their advanced directive that they want an advocate, not just people who don't have children, but people who want their children to um, collaborate with a medical advocate when something happens. So the biggest, one of the biggest benefits is I list the pros and cons of doing a particular treatment or surgery. And then the family member can look at that and say, gee, you know, if it's more serious to do the surgery, then maybe it's best not to. But I list pros and cons because I always want to make the patient feel like they can make the best informed decision. Um, but just to share with you for a moment, I mean, advocates, there's a lot of mistakes that happen, uh, diagnostic errors and medication errors. And advocates can prevent, for example, long delays in getting appropriate treatment, they can prevent unnecessary hospitalizations. 
um, as I said, by providing the pros and cons of recommended treatment for each person so that person can choose the best option for themselves. And sometimes uh, individuals or family members want us to research treatment options to see what other things are out there so they can end up making the best decision. Sure. You know, on the, the legal side, do you sometimes get involved with, uh, you know, recommending, you know, legal action on behalf of the patient? Um, I have gotten calls just uh, three days ago asking if I had someone uh, on my team that was a legal, that was a lawyer. And there have been an occasional call because somebody wants to uh, start a lawsuit. So I just tell them that's not the kind of work that I do. I am not ever telling someone what to do. We're facilitating care. We're providing guidance. If someone asks, um, what doctor should I hire to do this? Then I give them three names and they make that decision because that's not for me to make. Um, and that has worked out very well because it gives people want options. So, right. You know, recently I was involved in medical malpractice reform uh, here in California. Uh, and so I'm just, just wondering, I mean, when you spot these mistakes and these errors, I mean, do, do you, is part of your practice to suggest to patients that, that have had to deal with negligence or errors that they should at least explore their legal options? I do. I mean, many times it's, uh, unfortunately, lawyers are not taking cases unless there seems to be something so dramatic like medical malpractice. Sometimes someone doesn't meet the standard of care. And as a patient, you're allowed to call a number and report that doctor. Um, so I encourage people to do that. And sometimes um, I encourage people to contact an attorney. Um, once in a while, I remember about four years ago, I got a call and someone wanted to pay me to look at medical records because they were sure that something was missed with their mother. And they just didn't understand that she had been sick for several years. And when I looked at detailed nurses' notes and detailed doctor's documentation, everything was done. It's just that they had a hard time accepting her death. So I just told them I couldn't find anything that did not meet the standard of care. Um, but that's unusual to get to get that kind of request. But that's what they wanted, and that's what I did. Right. But well, there, if, if, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that there are cases occasionally where you know that so many things happen that were not right that someone needs to call. Uh, an attorney, and I don't hesitate to, to mention that. You know, there could be, what happens is someone calls and they tell me their story and I have to make sure it's something I can help them with. So they have to kind of make a decision. Am I the person they want to work with? Um, and I want to make sure that what they're presenting to me is something I'm the best person to help them with that particular health problem. Sometimes I'm not. I might refer someone to a person who does more psychiatric work. And um, when it comes to bills, I don't do that anymore. So I have a person I refer them to. So that way they're not left without having um, some support in terms of who they can call. Right. 
tell our listeners how um, how much it costs roughly, you know, to hire a health advocate typically, and does insurance help cover the cost of any of this? That's a good question. Um, unfortunately, at the present time, insurance does not cover health advocates. I'm hoping, and we're all hoping that changes at some point. Um, we charge some. Advocates charge a fee for service, just one fee. Others bill on an hourly rate. That's what I'm more familiar with. And that fee can be paid directly by the client or by a family member. Sometimes the client is too sick to do all that, so a family member takes care of that. Um, In some cases, it's not common, but it's happened that a friend uh, will pay for the services for um, that particular patient. And if somebody's brand new out of school, they may bill. Uh, it depends. Like I said, this is somebody who this could be someone who's taken care of many family members and is very skilled. Uh, so when someone's been practicing maybe three to five years, the fee could be about 150. Uh, it ranges from what I've looked at in California. It could be 300 dollars if somebody's been practicing for 15 or 20 years. And, and this is per, per hour. These are hourly rates. Is that what you mean? Hourly rates, yes. Yeah, right. We always tell Got everybody it. that right from the beginning. Right. And what happens if, if you need a patient advocate, but you simply can't afford one? Uh, is, is there other well, sources of funding? Right. Well, there's a patient advocate service in California that I'll give information to individuals to. But actually, just three days ago, I got a call and I knew because I've been doing this for so long, the person didn't have money. They didn't have time. And I just did it for free because we feel as advocates, uh, we can't do this constantly. But um she had numerous questions and I just chose, I had the time and I just chose to help her. Um, she didn't have any family that lived nearby and I just wanted to tell her. So I gave her questions that she could ask the um, intensivist in the intensive care unit and questions that she could ask the nurse, uh, which is basically what she was asking me, but I had not had a chance to do a medical assessment. So I was just answering her with to the best ability based on what she shared with me on the phone at that time. Right. Now, we have listeners all over the country. What's your recommendations, Linda, of how people can search for a health advocate in their area? Um, Usually, uh, you know, if it's a big city, it's, of course, a lot easier. Um, If it's a town, they could Google uh, advocate closest to me or they could go to the next city. Um, Many times there's sites like the National Advocate Health Association that will pop up and you could contact them and say, gee, do you know anyone in my area? In California, it's fairly easy to find an advocate, but um, uh, organizations will be online, like the Greater Organization of Healthcare Advocates, and they can be called and you can ask a question and then they will send it to us and say, okay, is anyone free in Northern California, in Arizona, in Minnesota? But um, many times those people, for some reason, they're calling the Bay Area. Um, I've had patients in the Midwest. I had to, there was a uh, someone's brother who lived 
in the Midwest and he went into the intensive care unit and then got transferred to hospice. But they wanted him to be here in the Bay Area. So I worked with the ICU team and then the hospice team and then the air ambulance team and we got him flown to Alameda so the family could be with him his last three months. So I, I had never done that before, but um, it wasn't difficult. It's just a matter of getting the appropriate information to find out how to succeed in, in uh, getting him flown here. Right. And by the way, one point of clarification here, uh, people can consider hiring a patient advocate for themselves or their family members, even when everyone's healthy, right? You, you don't have to wait for the crisis to kick in. Right. That happened. Um, that's been happening a lot more the past two years. And what it involves is just say um, somebody might want to pay for three or four hours. I'll do the assessment on the phone or in person, depending on how that works with COVID. <laughs> and then I have that information. So if they are hospitalized, most people that call don't have, um, they have one or two problems and they want me to look at some lab work. So it usually involves a little more. But if the person has had no problems whatsoever, I have the information. So when their friend or family member calls and they're too sick because they're either sick at home or they're sick in the hospital and they can't recall all that information, I have it. And I work with the family member in terms of what needs to be done. And as I said, a lot of people are doing this now on their advanced directives. They're putting a person's name, a health advocate's name, and saying, this is the person I want contacted along with my family members to help make decisions on what I want for my health care. Right. And before we wrap up here, Linda, is there anything else that we need to cover to make sure folks out there know exactly what a health advocate is, how they can help, how they can find one? Um, I would say uh, usually individuals, ha I, one of the things I just wanted to add before I answer that is that when you go to someone's website, you can usually look at their background because I think it's important to look at people's clinical backgrounds. Um, for example, my training in a master's nursing program also included a nurse practitioner training, and that just allows me to be able to understand what's included in the medical records. Um, and the, the allegiance that a person has, like my allegiance is always with my patient. And it can be confusing because some people call themselves ombudsmen and health advocates for a hospital, but their allegiance is to the hospital. Just like in the insurance company, there's health there's in, uh, insurance advocates, but their allegiance is to the insurance company. So that's just good to know. I just wanted to share one thing um, that I have been a patient myself. Um, I get a lot of calls about autoimmune diseases these days, and I got diagnosed with one 20 years ago. And I'm also a cancer survivor, so I have firsthand experience at being treated and being hospitalized. So I really understand where families and individuals are coming from when they present their acute or chronic health care problems. Wow, yeah, firsthand experience. If people want to get a hold of you or get more information about your practice or more just more information about health advocates, any suggested places to go? 
Right. My website has a form that someone can fill out. Um, if they don't want to do that, they could just email me directly or they could call. Um, and that number is on the website as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, what's, what, what, what is your website? So my website is patientadvocatebayarea.com. Got it. Great. And or they could call at 510-520-0186 and just ask questions. Right. Well, well Linda, uh, this has been terrific. Um, I, I, I've been following health advocate profession for a while now. And I do, I do think most people don't know much about the value of hiring a health advocate. I think we all have experienced how overwhelming the healthcare system can be, especially in the middle of a healthcare crisis. So I, I, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today to provide all this information about this important option for, for patients and their families. Thank you for being on the podcast. And thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's Fight Back podcast. Our mission is to provide you with healthcare resources and information in a refreshing and interesting format. We also want to thank health advocate Linda Garvin for joining us today to discuss the unique service of health advocacy and how it could help you or a loved one. For more information, please visit our website at healthcareconsumerrights.org. While on our website, you can check out additional podcasts and access more information and resources to help you navigate our healthcare system and get the care you deserve. We also welcome your input and topic ideas that we can use on future podcasts. This is Jamie, and this is Fight Back, a podcast by the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. Thanks for listening. I look forward to our next podcast. Talk with you soon. We hope you enjoyed the Fight Back podcast today. This is a free podcast available to provide consumers with quality information to help you fight for the health care you deserve. We are brought to you by listener supporters. Please consider making a $5 gift on our website, healthcareconsumerrights.org, to help keep Fight Back available for all listeners.